Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Today is Friday. It's the 15th of April, 2016. Let's go ahead and get our contact info out of the way, and then I'll update you guys on where I've been for the last month. If you'd like to contact me, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. I've got the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. I've also got an email address, so if you would like to record your own audio, which is generally the uh, highest quality you're going to get for the show, or if you want to send an email, I can read that out for you. The email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. Over on the website, you'll find uh, buttons for Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also contact me, I guess, through Facebook, which some people do. They'll go ahead and send a message. Uh, or you can leave something maybe on the Firearms Cafe listener page. Facebook, though, sometimes is a little bit wonky with how I get notified and, and that type of stuff. So I, I'm waiting for the day where they're going to probably monetize the messaging system. Uh, who knows if uh, they'll, they'll probably really never heard do that, but I wouldn't put it past them. Anyway, where have I been for the last month? Well, as you guys know, I had recovered from gallbladder surgery. I'd had it about a week before the last show, which was on the 15th of March and was recovering from that pretty well. That next weekend, we had some family stuff going on, and then after that, I ended up getting the flu, and then after that, about a week later, I was kind of recovered, but then after that, my wife got the flu, and so it kept pushing stuff off. Then we had some family obligations and things like that that we had to do after that. So uh, all of a sudden, I, I look up, and a month has gone by. Since it has been so long since I've been able to get in front of the microphone here, let's go ahead and do a quick recap of what I had talked about on the last show, which was number 140, entitled Buy It Now. And I had talked a little bit about, do you have any plans if you become incapacitated? You know, what, who's, who's going to kind of take over and pick up the slack, so to speak, in your family? I also talked about getting a surefire weapons mounted light. And so we'll go over some of that stuff. Did a little bit of talking about suppressors, also talking about some politics, some local stuff out here in Arizona where I live, as well as some of the national stuff. And that's kind of a, I think that's about if I remember it right. So anyway, I love getting feedback from you guys and we actually have quite a bit of feedback for the show today. And the first bit of feedback we got is from Nicholas, and he writes in and says, Hello, I'm a brand new listener to your podcast. I've maybe heard two or three episodes, and I just wanted to say how much I appreciated your last show. Your last podcast, entitled Buy It Now, got my wife and I talking. I had her listen to the first half of your show so that she could hear your points about what we would do if there was a home invasion and I was incapacitated and your part of the show about politics. For starters, my wife sounds a lot like yours. She isn't into shooting a whole lot, but she will shoot my guns on range day. It isn't necessarily overly fun for her, and she doesn't go out of her way to shoot them, but she understands the importance of safety and protecting our family. 
Last month, I had a minor surgery, and I was also on pain pills and asked my wife what would happen if there was a break-in. This sparked some conversation, which led us to look up crime rates in our city, and eventually we got to a point where my wife was suggesting that she take some training classes. This was a huge step for her. I'm sure I could have convinced her that taking a training class was necessary, but I never thought I would hear her suggest it. Your part of the show about politics also sparked some conversation for us because of the likelihood of a buying frenzy with the upcoming elections. I had just started to set aside $100 every two weeks for a new SIG MPX that I've been wanting. But after listening to your episode, my wife said that I should just buy it now, and then we can set aside the $100 to put back in our savings. This too is something that I never thought I would hear her say. An MPX is roughly $1,400, so it would take me about seven months to save for it. Who knows if I'll even be able to find one in seven months. I don't normally reach out and send long emails to strangers that I hear on podcasts, but without your show, my wife and I would never have had the productive conversation that we had. So thank you. And again, that is from Nicholas. So Nicholas, I appreciate you sending that in. And I'm glad, I guess, I played some small part in getting a conversation started in your guys sometimes uh, in your guys household excuse me sometimes it is difficult for husband and wives to communicate about things and um, especially if one or the other sees maybe firearms as more of a hobby and doesn't understand that maybe you're you're primarily your primary desire for some parts of it, not all of it, but for some parts of it are for defense. And, you know, with, with my wife, it has been a bit of a, a journey, but it's, uh, it's one that was taken slowly and, and with patience. And like I've talked about before, you know, she's a very logical person. And, and, and once I can, if I can set things out to her and say, well, let's say if something comes up in the news or something happens like that, and we say, well, this happened because of A, B, and C. And if this person had had C, D, and F, they would have been able to cope with A, B, and C. And once you lay that out, once, once, and also too, once uh, some of these things happen and, and it's kind of a recurrence of that same problem and the solution to those problems is kind of the same thing, uh, it becomes easier to sort of make your point. And I, I think an important part too about your... Uh, your email was that it was, she kind of came to some of these conclusions, even though you guys did have a conversation together, she came to the conclusions on her own. And sometimes I think that we in the gun culture, uh, whether you're, whether it's the man who's in it or the woman who's in it, sometimes we want to, we want to try to lead that other person as quickly as possible. And we don't want to give them time to come to the conclusions on their own. And it's usually best for someone to figure stuff out on their own. You know, you, you can, what's that old expression? You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And it's sort of that same thing. And, and sometimes if you push too hard, people will just sort of dig in their heels or they'll, you know, they think that you're, uh, you're, you're making too big of a deal or you're making much ado about nothing type stuff. When a lot of times, uh, and it's not necessarily that it has to be a firearm, but you've got to have some plan for your for your own defense. You've got to have, you've got to realize that you're the one who ultimately is going to be responsible for the protection of yourself and your family and your home. 
So anyway, Nicholas, again, like I said, I'm very glad that you will uh, you'll be able to get that firearm that you wanted. And uh, don't forget to you know pick up some magazines and some uh, extra ammo for that stuff too. Again, kind of getting back on the the national scale of politics. I still think it's going to be Hillary. That's going to be the Democratic nomination for the upcoming presidential election. And when that happens, when it is the official thing, I do think that we'll see some panic buying. What's going on over on the Republican side? I, boy, I don't know. In, in some ways, I am I'm paying attention to it, but in also in other ways, I'm kind of distancing myself from it, if that makes sense. I know some of you guys are probably in the same boat as I am with this. After a while, you just kind of get tired of hearing the same old nonsense over and over. But anyway, it seems uh, that as if uh, it might it might actually be Trump. After all, I'd kind of thought that it would be Cruz. I thought that they might do some type of uh, what do they call it? Like a brokered uh, have a have a brokered convention type thing where they basically just say, "Well, yeah, we know that these uh, person A and person B were running. We know that Trump and Cruz were running, and even you know Rubio a little bit. But we're gonna we're gonna throw in maybe Paul Ryan." Now, it's what's interesting is you the last few days, and again today is the fifteenth of April. But the last few days, I heard some stuff on the radio about how Paul Ryan is saying oh, how he absolutely will not uh, run for president or accept any kind of nomination or this, that, and the other thing. Who knows? You know, is is this all political theater? Is this going to be? I was talking with my uh, mother-in-law the other day. And we were talking a little bit about some of the politics and some of the dog and pony stuff that's going on. And she had brought up the thing about Paul Ryan and how he said he wouldn't do it. And I said, well, I go, he might. And she was like, well, how could he do that? Because he's been so vehemently denying that he would do it. And I said, well, you know, these politicians do this stuff all the time. And it could be it's just political theater. I'm not saying it's going to be him, but it could be that when the time comes, he's going to you know, him and Han kick his feet and shuffle around and say, well, I guess for the good of the country and the good of the party, I'll, I'll accept and I'll do it. And who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But anyway, what may happen, I'm, the reason I'm saying all this stuff is what may happen is that if they do something like that, again, we may have some panic buying because people are are going to think, oh my gosh, they don't even know what they're doing. They're floundering and I better go ahead and get this because Hillary's going to win. And when that comes in, even if they don't believe, even if let's say the, a lot of people, and I won't say the majority, but let's say even if a lot of people think, well, there's still a, the Republicans still hold the majority in the House and in the Senate. And so there's probably not going to be a whole lot of this and uh, of, of new actual bans or laws that will be passed because the Republicans will block it. They'll actually have an enemy type thing, you know, to do it that way. Uh, now, what she would do, um, as we've seen, if she's, she'd probably, I'm sure, take up the example of Obama's, you know, going executive order happy and trying to do stuff that way. But I think that a lot of people who are Republicans are going to think, well, shoot, it's going to be Hillary. She's, you know, the the um, Republican Party is so disorganized that she's they're just going to roll over because everything's going to be too fractured, and so the Democrats are going to win again and. Once that kind of looks like it, I better start getting some stuff. 
but a lot of this stuff is going to come a little bit later in the game. So again, and I'm going to harp on this probably on every show up until the night of the election. If there's something that you want, go ahead and get it now. And here's, here's why. When Obama was in the last election, when Obama was running for re-election and the, uh, was it Mitt Romney, the night before the election, you could go on pretty much any ammo site. And let's say I went, I used to go to SGM all the time. I still buy from them when I can, but on, uh, SGMO's website, they had cases of, uh, CCI 22 long rifle mini mags, cases of them that you could get after the election. The next day I went back and checked and I'd actually, and I, a little bit before I'd actually bought some ammunition uh, from them. And I thought, Oh, 22 will still be around because it, it, I, we had kind of gone through the thing. So I kind of got caught with my pants down. Cause I thought about ordering a case, which would be about, which would be 5,000 rounds. I thought about ordering a case of 22 and I didn't, and I should have now recently, I think I've talked about it before that I've ordered some and I've kind of stockpiled up on some stuff so that as time, if, if we go through another ammo drought, I'm going to be Rel- relatively insulated, I guess, from it. So I've got enough and I've done the formulas for me for how much I shoot or how much I want to shoot and this type of the other thing to where I feel that I have enough that would get me over the, the initial panic hump. Although it seems, it seems, and I don't know how factual it is, but it seems like there's a, a lot more people are getting into guns and a lot more people are buying ammunition and magazines and things like that. And for the most part, we've seen kind of that. It it seems like we're down in the valley. We're up off the top of that hill and we're down in the valley where things you can at least get them. Same thing with AR, same thing with AKs. At least you can get them now. But remember, it wasn't too long ago, just a few years ago, where there were no AKs or were no ARs. Maybe you could get them. I guess I shouldn't say there were none. You could get them, but you were going to pay a huge price for them. You're going to pay a very, uh, very, uh, a premium price, uh, almost double or triple sometimes what you could, what you would get for it now for that same exact thing. Uh, again, Nicholas, thanks for sending that in. Like I said, I'm glad you and your wife have, uh, have got some, some, got some plans going and got, got some things in motion that you need to. And especially I'm glad to hear about the training. And again, that's something that my wife has done as well. And that's something I need to do more of is uh, throw now that I've got kind of my stockpile is start throwing in some money toward getting some training and getting some some good practical skills with this stuff so we also have some feedback uh, about some um oh let's see do i want to do trying to think do i want to do suppressors first or maybe maybe we'll do the lights first let me tell you what, let's go ahead and do the lights. Now, I had bought a, a Surefire, the 300 uh, Ultra X-B, which basically means it's the it's a newer one. It has a newer, it has a, well, I, should, I guess, well, I guess newer is the right term. It has the newer attachment, so it's got the like little thumb screw thing. And it also has... It comes with a, an attachment for a Picatinny rail. It also comes with a, what they call a universal attachment, which would sync up more with the Glocks. Now, if you've got the Picatinny rail, uh, 
or at least this is how it works on some of my stuff, that universal rail on a pistol, uh, at least for the VP9 that I told you guys about, it fits that and it fits the Glock as well. I, I uh, unloaded the gun and went through and did some testing with it at night in the house. And even though it's 600 lumens, one of the things that we had talked about before was, you know, are you going to get blinded from it? You know, uh, should you have a, a weapons light on your on your gun all the time or just part of the time? But kind of getting back to some of the testing that I did, I found that if you it's it's pretty bright, and so that if you were going through initially, I could shine it on the floor. It bounces up enough light to where you can see relatively well, and your eyes would then become sort of adjusted to that. And then if you need to pop that up, let's say if you saw somebody in there or saw something that you needed to identify, I guess you can bring it up a little bit higher and you can get that spot on them and it's got a good bright spot. But what I found is in doing that is that my, since I was kind of looking at the spill light area, if that makes any sense is that I wasn't getting sort of blinded by the reflective, the reflection of the light kind of bouncing up off the walls and stuff. I really like it. I'm glad I've, I'm glad I got it. I think I will probably in the future, maybe buy another one for, for uh, my rifle that I have just to have it on there. Uh, I think it's a really nice light. I do need to do maybe some nighttime tests with it and see kind of how far that beam of light is is going to go out for me and stuff like that. But in the stuff I've done so far has been inside the house because I have it primarily on the handgun. So anyway, let me go ahead and let's play uh, some of the feedback that we got. And this is from Aaron. Take it away, Aaron. This is Aaron in Colorado Springs. Uh, just uh, leaving you um, feedback on uh, show number 140, uh, Firearms Cafe. Uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, I do carry a uh, firearms mounted light on my handgun as much as possible. Uh, there are some times when uh, I'm carrying a smaller gun and obviously it won't uh, work quite as well. But uh, uh, to me it makes sense to have a gun mounted light because it gives you more options. Uh, I always carry a, a secondary light as well. That way, uh, if you're doing any kind of searching or um, looking for things, you're not necessarily going to have to use the uh, gun that's, or excuse me, the light that is mounted on the gun. It uh, just gives you options. I know there's a lot of folks out there that think, think it's bad juju to uh, have uh, gun-mounted lights on uh, handguns, but um, to me, it makes a lot of perfect sense. Uh, the guns that I use as far as the long guns are concerned, uh, ARs, shotguns, that sort of thing, I'll have uh, lights mounted on them if I'm going to be using them in a defensive uh, capacity. Uh, running lights on long guns is uh, interesting if you have to uh, use your support hand and then manipulation, and it just it makes a lot of sense to have it on long guns as well. Um, obviously, you don't want to be doing searching uh, with uh, lights on the guns themselves. That's what the secondary light is for, uh, as well as a backup. It's just, uh, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, so uh, just giving you my uh, two cents out there, and uh, take care, man. Enjoy the show. Hey, Aaron, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. Lots of good points there. I am kind of with you on the philosophy of now that I've had it on the firearm, I really like the idea of having a weapon-mounted light with my concealed carry rig that I've got all the time. I don't have it on there now because right now I have a holster set up for the VP9 that I had made without the light on it. 
and I've got to set up certain things. And I've kind of, it's been so long since I've done the, the, the Kydex and what I'm trying to do with it that I've lost a little bit of the mojo. So I'm anyway, I'm, the whole thing I'm trying to say is I've, I'm making, a, I'm making holsters for that with the light, but I've got to rig up some uh, certain jigs and you've got to rig up certain things so that you get clearance and all this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, and I also have messed up on a couple of pieces of Kydex. And so I've, I've got some new stuff on order. Luckily it's relatively cheap and easy to get. So, but anyway, I'll let you guys know how that stuff works out a little bit later. Uh, and some people say, well, you know, shouldn't you just go ahead and just buy one real quick? If they're, you know, you can get a decent one for anywhere from probably 40 to 70, $80. And yeah, I could do that, but I can, since I already have a lot of the things that I want, I have an Arbor press, I have a lot of the materials, I have, you know, the rivets and and some of the clips and some of this other things that I need to go along with it, that it's, eh, it's easier for me to go ahead and make my own. And uh, like I said, I'm kind of getting back into the mojo of it. And I, again, it, it goes back to, to the original intent of when I originally bought the stuff, it would be, okay, well, if I do get another gun, then I don't have to spend $80 on a holster. I can spend maybe $20 if that and, and be able to make and, and out of that $20 investment, be able to get an outside the waistband holster a range holster, and then an every, an everyday, uh, concealed carry holster with it as well. So, so again, like I said before, I am very pleased with the Surefire. I think Surefire is going to be the way for me to go forward. I, I like the build quality of it. I like all that stuff about it. If you guys rock the, uh, what else is out there? The Streamlight or some of the other stuff that's out there, that's good for you. I'm glad I'm not trying to run yours down, but like I said, for me, I like the Surefire, and I think I'll probably stick with those. Let's go ahead and make the jump to suppressors, and I have quite a bit of feedback on that. And our first bit of feedback is going to be from Bruce. And this is regarding to when I was talking about, well, should I buy a new gun? Should I just buy maybe a replacement barrel for my Rugers that I have for the 1022 and for the Mark II that I have, you know, what should I do? And so Bruce writes in and he says, Hey, I'm in the exact same decision-making position regarding my 22 caliber that has a target barrel, trying to decide how to match my YHT suppressor. Where did you land or where are you currently at regarding a threaded bull barrel for your Ruger or buy something new? If you buy new, what are you thinking? Long-time podcast listener, great show. Thanks, Bruce. Well, hey, Bruce, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. You know, I am, st I am still... Well, you know what? Before before I answer some of this stuff, we we have uh, three or four more bits of feedback, so all with the suppressors, and I think in some of that stuff, some of the questions here that I would answer, maybe I would answer them again later on. So what I'll do is I will go ahead and read off some of the other stuff. And then we also have uh, some actual audio from Spencer that he sent in. And I think what I'll do is I will go ahead and maybe play that from Spencer now, and then I'll come back and read some feedback that we have from Daniel. Uh, so give me a minute here to pull this up. And this is, uh, again, from Spencer. Hey, Tony. This is Spencer from Smyrna, Georgia. 
just want to figure that this would be kind of a long long one here so rather than write it down i figured i'd send you a voice uh voicemail uh, you're asking about suppressors and such and i gotta admit i'm a little bit of a suppressor junkie i've got my uh 22 i've got one in nine i've got one for 45 i've got a 5.56 and a 308 so kind of all all my calibers covered there uh just start off real easy with the uh 22 suppressors you're absolutely right that's the best way to go or the best first suppressor you could actually buy uh they're a lot of fun they're relatively cheap compared to other suppressors very flexible very easy to use and like you say i and they're they're the things that people remember shooting uh people have a lot of fun with them and they're easy to uh, it's a lot very easy to find 22 hosts for them uh, so yeah you're definitely on the right track with starting off with the 22. Uh, personally i yeah i know you said you were doing your research and you mentioned cleaning cleaning is critical for a 22 suppressor 22 ammo is so dirty that you can actually uh, i think they call it carbon welding you can actually basically weld the baffles inside to the t inside of the tube and essentially make it impossible for those baffles to come out or very very difficult uh, you can actually damage the baffles if you you know like hit them too hard with a dowel or something so you really don't you really need to be careful uh, if you look at some of the instructions for some of the suppressors they'll tell you to clean out the suppressor after every say 50 or 100 rounds even the specter i found they do a little bit different setup and they are uh they say that they're good they they prefer that you clean them out every several hundred rounds yeah three four five hundred uh i've shot mine 500 rounds without a problem uh using decent quality ammo but not fantastic match norma match ammo or anything crazy like that so uh it does work very well uh, i've never had a problem uh, pushing the baffle stack out just either with my fingers or uh i do have a dowel that's roughly the same size that i can use with a, a rubber mallet and just tap them if i need to but i've never actually had to use that uh, usually they just pop right the whole stack just slides right out so that's 22 like i say definitely look at cleaning and how often you have to clean it because if you get that thing welded in there you're going to be soaking it and doing ultrasonics and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to try and break that free and if you have to send it back to the manufacturer that's a real pain in the neck uh, that is one thing to remember too on suppressors they are not user serviceable so like if you do damage a baffle or something it has to go back they can't just send you a baffle it has to go back to the manufacturer and it's kind of weird the way nfa laws like that they can't just send you a very easily replaceable part uh, you have to send it back to the factory and they put it back in uh, the next step up there obviously once you get your get started it's really hard to kind of stop uh, pistol caliber you were talking about threading threading is actually pretty straightforward with pistol caliber because unlike with a rifle or a blowback like a 22 where you screw the suppressor directly into or onto the barrel with pistol calibers you are actually the suppressor has a piston assembly i think it was called it's actually a something device i forget the name of it but it's actually a spring and piston that screws into the back of the suppressor and then the other end of the piston has the threading for the barrel and the reason is because the weight on a, on a browning type action with the tilt lock 
if the weight of the suppressor would keep the action from functioning. So what, it, what that piston spring does actually is sort of soak up recoil and then push it, when the spring is fully compressed, it pushes it back into the action to help it complete the cycle. Without it, your action just probably won't, won't work. It'll be a single shot. So the key is that those pistons are what's threaded to the barrel. So if, and generally when you buy a suppressor, you get a piston for free, you get one piston. But you can just as easily order additional pistons. It's no problem. Uh, so if you have some weird metric thread, hopefully HK didn't do that to you. But uh, if you have some kind of weird metric thread that isn't the standard nine millimeter, I think you were right. It's like one by twenty-eight. Uh, you just get a piston with that threading. Uh, you, you'll just need to, when you look for a suppressor, make sure that they make a piston with that particular threading. Um, after that, the next thing is truss. Okay, so definitely want to get a trust. They're pretty common these days. Uh, I don't know the rules around Arizona and Georgia here. Basically, there's two or three guys on some of our local gun boards that do trusts that are actual lawyers and have done gun trusts. Uh, there is a group of gun trust attorneys i think it's called gun trust attorneys or something but if you google it there's a group of people that do these in every state generally it costs about a hundred dollars uh you can also go to silencerco.com and they have a 50 state legal trust that is out there for again around a hundred dollars or so now i know in georgia basically you fill the trust out you, you do the paperwork you put your executors you put your beneficiaries uh, you put a $5 check into it as, a, as the first asset to start the trust off. And in Georgia, that's it. Basically, you sign it, you get it notarized, and it's a legal document at that point. Uh, I don't know if some states do require you to actually uh, file this with like a probate office or something. Uh, but Georgia doesn't. I'm guessing Arizona probably doesn't either. It's very good to have a trust because... The individual ownership route, while it's going to get easier this July, it still has some pitfalls. Um, when I say easier this July, there's a rule called 41P that is coming into effect. I think it used to be 91-something, but anyways, the final rule is, is 41P. It was approved by the ATF this past, uh, this past winter, late winter, early spring, and it takes uh, effect, I guess, after, like, six months after it gets published in the register, so that's sometime around July. Up till now, there were two ways to get something, and I'm sure you've already run into this. You could buy a, say, a suppressor individual as an individual, in which case you fill out a form, basically asking permission from your local chief law enforcement officer or your sheriff or chief of police. Once they approve that, you send that with your $200 check and your, uh, your ATF form, into the ATF along and you know six months three months five months whatever later they give you back your stamp and you do that for every single one that's an individual ownership now even in Georgia there are some sheriffs that will not sign off on those and they uh, they will refuse to sign it 41p comes along and does something good and something bad uh, it's kind of ridiculous it was based it was, a law, it was a ruling that they based on the mistaken ass assumption that a trust doesn't means you don't require a background check to get your device. Uh, that's not true. When you get your when you get when 
your suppressor shows up at the at the FFL, you will fill out a 4473 just like you would for any other gun. Uh, so what they did is they said, well, now for for truss, you have to do the same thing as you currently have to do for your chief law enforcement officer sign-off, and that is get fingerprints and a uh, passport-type photo and supply things like you know Social Security numbers and stuff. Uh, for the trust, after July, everyone in the trust will have to have that happen, which may be a pain in the neck. It may not. It may not be a problem. Uh, if it's just you and your wife as the executors of the trust, uh, yeah, it's an extra step. It's an extra piece of paper you have to attach to the trust every time you buy something. But at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. For me, it's a little more of a hassle. My sister is the other executor, and she lives across the country from me, so trying to coordinate that is a pain in the neck. Uh, the good news is it made 41P will make individual ownership easier because you no longer have to get the approval of your chief law enforcement officer. You simply have to notify them. So you fill out a form, a special ATF form that you send to them saying, hey, I am buying this, but they don't get to choose whether or not you get to buy that. They, If it's legal in your state at that point, legal in your municipality, then that is all that you just notify them and you're done. So. One reason still to get a trust, though, is that there are some weird legal things that can happen if you don't have one. One of the big gotchas in NFA law is that you are not allowed to have an NFA item if you are even charged with a particular crime, a felony-type crime. And there's actually a case that happened here in Georgia where because where a person was pulled over, I think it was a self-defense case, I'm pretty sure, the DA really wanted to charge them. They charged them with a felony crime, and since they had been notified as the chief law enforcement officer, they knew this person had NFA items. So they charged them with a felony crime, released them, but had the ATF waiting outside. And as soon as they stepped out the door, the ATF arrested them for being a charge, a person charged with a felony crime in possession of an NFA item. If you have a trust, as my lawyer, well, I got my trust, uh, I did an individual lawyer, he walked me through it a bit, and he said, you know, in this kind of situation, essentially, while you're sitting there in the holding cell, get yourself a piece of toilet paper, write on it, I, Joe Schmo, uh, renounce all rights and privileges to the Joe Schmo Gun Trust, Sign it, date it, put that piece of toilet paper in your pocket. When the ATF goes to arrest you, hold them up and say, nope, sorry, I am no longer involved in that trust. The other executor now is technically the person who owns that property, and you are no longer under any kind of legal obligation or, or legal connection to that. Uh, hopefully everything works out for you, and... Uh, at that point, the executor can re-add you as another executor back to the trust. But there's there's some legal stuff that a trust makes easier. It's also easier in general if you, uh, you know, if you were to pass away or, or you know, for some reason, uh, you know, something bad happens, and you're rather than having to immediately petition the AT, uh, ATF, there is, I guess, a, a sort of an inheritance for spouses and such. But if it's a trust, it's easy. It's right. It's still in the trust. Nothing changes. So a trust is definitely the way to go. Last but not least is hosts. 
And you had mentioned a couple that you had. You had the uh, Ruger 22 Mark II, I think you said, and a 1022. Uh, one thing I've found is that I generally buy everything with a threaded barrel these days. It's something that's, that's changed my buying habits a bit. Uh, the Ruger Mark II, I would not, as you found out, the prices for that are ridiculously expensive to upgrade the barrel or the upper receiver. I would actually just buy another one, to be honest. Uh, if you like your Mark II, keep it. The new Mark II, the 1022, or the, the 2245s and such, uh, those are all available with threaded barrels. The uh, SR22 is a great little semi-auto uh, host that, that's great. Uh, in fact, your wife might like that. It's very adjustable. It's probably a good kid's gun too. It's got a, uh, it's much more adjustable as far as uh, hand size. It's got a, a change interchangeable grip, one small, one large. The large one is perfectly comfortable for an adult. The small one is actually very good for, uh, for kids. I, I use it all the time if I'm introducing, like, you know, I have a 10 or 12 year old that wants to shoot. The 10-22, honestly, so in, in that case, with the pistol, I would just keep your old Mark II, just buy a, a good host for it, you know, your 22 can. Uh, for the 1022, it sounds like you really want the takedown anyways. I would just honestly just trade your 1022 or trade it in and get what you can for it and uh, just buy the gun you want. Because again, if you end up spending three or $400 for a Volkortsen, just like with the Mark II, if you end up buying the, the hot top end for that, what's just gonna happen is you're just going to end up with an extra part that's sitting around that does you no good. You're going to end up with an extra 1022 barrel. You're going to end up with an extra you know, Mark II top end. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. So rather than go that route, I, I would just trade it in and, and get the gun you really want. Get the, the new threaded barrel, bull barrel, take down 1022. It's a great little gun. And, you know, if you can get 150 or so for your, your existing 1022, then, hey, you know, it's a $200 purchase it's not a big deal uh and when you're talking about suppressors you start learning two hundred dollars is money that you're throwing away for every for just the opportunity of buying a suppressor not even buying the suppressor itself so you know it's kind of easy to justify that now when you get into the larger calibers it sounds like the hk is already set up but if you have a glock or something i mean you know lone wolf can't they're great they they have the best threaded barrels for the buck it's really hard to argue with uh, but, you know, like I say, if you, if you get to the point there where you uh, start doing other pistol calibers, then you'll be, uh, uh, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, that's about it. Hopefully everything's going well. Uh, great show. And hopefully next, next time I wrote you, it won't be a, a huge, uh, either voicemail or email. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, Spencer, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. Lots of food for thought there. I, like I said, I am still going to go ahead and hold my comments. Um, we have a couple more bits of feedback, and so I want to go ahead and read that in. Uh, but again, thanks for sending that in, and please feel free to send stuff in the future. Uh, so this is from Daniel, and Daniel writes in. He says, hi, Tony. I have some information for you on suppressors. I currently have one. 22 long rifle suppressor. It's the Silencer Co. Spectre 2. It is one of the best from reviews I could find. It is up there with the Silencer Co. Sparrow. I was in the same boat you are in now, wanting a 22 can ASAP and 
planning to get something for centerfire pistols later. Well, not too long ago, the Griffin Armament Optimus came out. It's the first suppressor that can handle anything from 22 long rifle all the way up to 300 wind mag and pistol caliber up to 357 magnum. It can be dismantled and cleaned. In the past, if you wanted suppressors to cover as many firearms as possible, you needed a 22 can, a pistol can, and lastly, you needed a rifle can. That totals up to $600 in tax stamps plus the cost of each suppressor. And if you did not buy them all at the same time, you would have to wait for months until each stack, excuse me, each tax stamp cleared. Unfortunately, the cost of admission for the suppressor is one of the drawbacks. It retails for about $900 to $1,000. If I had not spent $400 on my Spectre 2 plus the $200 stamp, I would have jumped on this suppressor in a heartbeat. I don't recall if you're an AR guy, but most likely you will become one eventually. And in that case, having a suppressor for your AR is incredibly beneficial. I highly suggest looking into the Optimus. I may pick one up anyway so I can have hosts for my 9mm pistols and ARs. Even then, I would be saving money going this route instead of the cheapest pistol can for $400 plus $200 tax stamp and the cheapest rifle can for $500 plus a $200 tax stamp. If you're thinking about only sticking to a 22 can, then the Spectre 2 or the Sparrow are my recommendations. But again, if you want another suppressor later for other firearms, go with the Optimus. As far as a host for a 22 can, I cannot highly recommend enough Ruger 2245 MK2. I purchased the one with a threaded barrel, and it is one of the most fun guns I have. I spent a little extra for the Volkortsen Sear trigger and magazine disconnect, and a cheapo mini reflex sight. I understand you already have a MK2. My suggestion would be to sell it to recoup the cost you would spend on a threaded version. If you're looking for a Ruger 1022, maybe sell the one you have now to recoup for the cost of a threaded version. I've seen them for $240 all day at CDNN Sports Online. If you're considering getting a replacement barrel, I think the Tactical Solutions SB-X barrel is the most interesting innovation yet. The hosts I have are the Ruger Mark II 2245 threaded barrel, a Savage MK2 SVSR bolt action, and a GSG MP5 PK that I SBR'd because of the movie Die Hard, and 22 caliber was way cheaper than 9mm at the time. I got the pistol for $250 plus a tax stamp for $200 and a $40 stock. SBR 22 long rifle for less than $500. Other hosts I considered were the Smith & Wesson MP22 Compact, Tactical Solutions Glock 22 long rifle conversion, Smith & Wesson MP 1522, and the Ruger SR22. Let me know if you have any follow-up questions. Okay, Daniel, lots of information, lots of good stuff. Thanks for sending that in. Lots of, again, lots of food for thought. Again, I'll do some follow-up stuff here once we got uh, we get a couple more pieces of feedback we need to get to, and then I'll be able to sort of do everything all at once so I don't repeat myself. Our next bit of feedback is from Sid, and he writes in and said, I finally had a chance to listen to your last show yesterday. One odd thing about the Ruger 22 pistols, like the Mark One and the 45 is that the barrel is the registered part, not the frame, 
and a green tactical solutions upper on a Mark II frame looks badass. I've been looking for their rare eight inch barrel. Yeah, I know it, it's, and again, we'll talk a little bit more about that stuff, but you know, some of that tactical solution stuff, it looks really cool, but gosh, it is expensive. All right. Now our last bit of feedback on the suppressors comes from Jeff and I'll go ahead and read that out now. Jeff writes in and says, I was listening to your comments about suppressors. Anyway, something to consider is with the 41P regulation coming through in July, the CLEO, or Chief Law Enforcement Officer sign-off, becomes CLEO notification, sort of like a Curio and Relic FFL license. So if you wanted to save the $150 to $300 on the trust, you could wait until July and go that route. In July, the two biggest advantages of the trust go away, which is the no fingerprints and the no Clio sign-off. Since Clio sign-off goes away and they are going to make you do the fingerprints for your trust. So that is worth considering. And he says he bought his silencers from uh, the silencer shop. In a later message, Jeff followed up with, oh, I should put out what I think the remaining advantage of the trust is. And that is that the trust owns the firearms and not you. So when you pass on, your daughter could automatically inherit the items since the trust owned them and the ownership doesn't change. Under traditional form four, there is an inheritance transfer which doesn't cost an extra $200 like a normal transfer, but you also have to file that form. And if there were ever a situation where they decided to block any future transfers of NFA items, like they did with people with registered prohibited weapons in Canada, you would be the last owner of them and they would have to be turned in after you pass on, whereas the trust lives on and there is no transfer. I don't see that as a likely scenario with silencers based on trends in our country right now. It seems more likely that silencers will be removed from the NFA down the line given more and more support for them. The other big benefit of the trust is everyone on the trust can be a user. So say your wife wanted to take your daughter out shooting with a silencer and you couldn't go along. In that scenario, with a Form 4 in your name, they might not be able to legally take it with them if you weren't along. They could use it with you, but there is always the chance that if you aren't there, they could call it an illegal transfer of the item and put you all in a legal risk. With a trust, everyone on the trust can be an authorized user of the NFA item. So yeah, after talking you out of the trust, let me talk you back into it. So you can see the pros and cons of both ways. Since I have the trust and multiple children, as well as multiple NFA items on the trust, I will stick with it. But I'm annoyed about having to submit fingerprints going forward if I register anything new, and also worried that they could make me, my wife, and my three kids all submit fingerprints, uh, which would be a big pain in the butt. Uh, and then he also gives me a link um, to uh, an article of the firearms blog, and I will, if I remember, if I don't get old man's disease here, I'll try and put that link in there. So again, I think that is all the feedback I had on suppressors. Let me double check real quick on the emails here because I think I got it all, all covered on that. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm pretty sure I got it. So if somebody sent something in and I didn't either play it or didn't get it in the show this time, send me another email reminder and I'll let that, and I'll, I'll get it in on the next show. Also, if you have any other 
uh, points or anything like that that you want to make, go ahead and send that in. If you have any recommendations on silencers or maybe the process that you went through, what were some of the pros and cons, that type of stuff. Okay, so with all that information that we've got, let's go ahead and I'll try and maybe look at, and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll do it more kind of from my perspective and try and do the big picture of it more for what I'm going to do or what I would like to do. So going back to that first thing, kind of where am I at? I think where the, the final decision that I've come to is that I will probably end up keeping my Mark II and probably also keeping my Ruger 1022. I may go ahead and and just sell the Ruger 1022 or maybe give it as a gift or something to somebody or, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I can sell it and get enough and it, it mitigates a little bit of the cost of buying buying a new firearm. But what I think I will probably do is look at an actual firearm uh, like both kind of had like Spencer and um, Daniel had basically recommended that you just go ahead and, and uh, you know, buy a new gun in looking at some of the like tactical solution stuff and looking at some of the other threaded barrels that are out there. When you're looking at quality stuff, you're not that much different uh, price wise than you are with buying a new gun. And I thought it was a good point, too, that Spencer made about if I do buy a new barrel, well, all I'm going to have is just an extra barrel just sitting at the house. So, uh, again, I think what I will probably end up doing, I don't know, I, I, I'll, I, I think for sure what I'm going to do is I will definitely probably keep my Mark II just because I like it. And it's a fun gun uh, and it doesn't hurt. You know, I got it for a good price and so it doesn't hurt to have it laying around. And I will probably buy a new pistol, whether I'll, I'll stick with that, uh, a Ruger, that 2245, the Mark II thing, or whether I will maybe go with the Ruger SR-22 or um, who, who was the other one I was talking about? The Walther, I think the P-22, something like that for a pistol. I don't know. We'll have to see uh, what's going to go on with that. But I will definitely go ahead and get those with the threaded barrels. And it's probably going to be one of those things where any, again, any future purchases, if I make them, they are going to have threaded barrels probably for the silencers. I think for me, what I will probably do is maybe wait till July and I'm, I'm going to do the research and maybe get my, my mind made up on what I actually want to buy. And then in July, I'll probably go ahead and do the trust route. I think that that probably long-term makes the most sense for me and will probably give myself and my family more options and more protections maybe down the road. Now, an interesting thing is I don't know, and I talked about this, I think, a little bit before, and I am, I think, kind of the same mindset of Jeff is that in, in that eventually I think probably suppressors will be, if not removed from from the uh, uh, as an NFA item, they may be knocked down to a thing where it's considered any other object or weapon or whatever they call it, and it's basically a five dollar tax stamp. Realistically, I probably see something like that maybe going uh, going forward. But there's there's been a lot of legislation and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of stuff about or at least legisl uh, bills, not legislation, I guess bills being put out there trying to 
make it easier for, for you and I as the average person to own a silencer and where we don't have to go through all the, uh, Oh, the, the dog and pony shows and jump through all the hoops and do all this stuff. And, and, you know, having to pay the excess thing, it really is a, for what it is, it is a ridiculous amount of money that you're having to pay, even by today's standards for, basically getting your permission, your, your permission slip, you know, from the government. Um, I still, again, I still have a lot of stuff to think about as far as doing something like a, like a one can to sort of rule them all type thing. Like what Daniel was saying, I don't know. Um, I will probably go for me. I'll probably go the route of maybe having something for the 22s and then having maybe, maybe at that point looking at something where I could have a, uh, a pistol caliber up to a rifle caliber type thing. I don't know. I'm sure there's probably pluses and minuses to that. You know, pretty much everything is, is a compromise. You know, if you've got, uh, something that is a multi-caliber thing. Maybe it's not quite as quiet. I don't know. I don't really have any experience with that and I don't really know anybody that has. So uh, if somebody actually has that, I think it was the optimist or something that he was talking about that Dan was talking about, uh, write in, let me know. Or if you, you know, if you have a friend that maybe does, and if they don't want to write in, talk to them for me and then, you know, give them, uh, uh, give the report for them type stuff. If they don't want to be on the show type deal. But anyway, uh, I think that's kind of going to do it for the suppressors. Again, I would say go back if you're, because uh, I'm I've gone back and I've reread the emails and I've made notes and things like that. So, I the the information that Daniel and Spencer and Jeff and everybody gave is all really good stuff. You know, everybody that uh, weighed in all made really good points, and I really appreciate that. Uh, you guys taking your time out uh, to go ahead and send that in and to help me out. So again, thanks guys for doing that. Uh, let's see. I think that is pretty much our, pretty much all our feedback for today. And that's pretty much, I think what I wanted to get covered on the show today. So I think that is going to do it. Uh, I will give you guys a few kind of recommendations on who I think you should maybe give a listen to other uh, podcasts out there. There's uh, modern rifleman radio. There's uh, the Road Gunner podcast. There's um, New Shooter Canada, Slam Fire Radio, Gun Nation. Uh, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Um, anyway, uh, all those guys. There's tons. Oh, I I did uh, just popped into my head. Paul Carlson, who sometimes who you can hear pretty frequently on uh, the Gun Nation, is putting some of his pod he's get, he's resurrecting his old podcast which is uh what is it safety solutions academy podcast i think that's what it is uh, but anyway uh go ahead give him a listen he's on itunes and all the other stuff like that uh paul is a uh, decent guy puts out lots of good information i always enjoy listening to him on podcasts other than that i like i said i'm sure i'm leaving some guys out some people out um Oh, you know who just popped into my head was Arm Squirrels Project, Arm Couples Project, uh, Pro Arms Podcast, and all those other things. So anyway, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start rambling and and becoming even more incoherent than I already am. 
All right, my friends, again, thanks to everybody who sent in feedback and uh, that it, it's a real pick me up. You guys don't know uh, what a kick I get out of getting the feedback. And uh, in the case of, of um, Nicholas, you know, he had said that it sparked some conversation and maybe got them to thinking in a little bit different way. And so I, uh, I'm really glad that I was able to play a small part in that. All right, my friends, I will talk to you guys next time. 